Ladies and gentlemen, or mostly gentlemen, maybe like a few ladies, uh, we're back with another episode of Cast Burgers. Today, wait, what's what's the name of your podcast called? Cast Burgers. Cast, like Aspergers. Yeah, but like podcast and Aspergers. Cast Burgers. Yeah. Cast Burgers. Yeah, when okay. I was deciding to uh, make burgers. a podcast. I Is there a T in it? Yeah. Cast, Cast burgers. burgers. I know, it, it's really hard to spell and harder to Google. And I don't really think about that, but uh, it's fine. Seems I mean, no, I'm not, I'm not. I don't want to start just insulting <laughs> in your podcast, Casper. Okay. Well, you didn't yet, but okay. You know, feel free to. <laughs> uh, his name is Bill Dawes. He is an actor, comedian, like an actual one, not an open micer. When's the last time you did an open mic? How many years have been? I mean, do you count the dime with Adam Hunter an open mic? Uh, an open, like an actual open mic where you or, signed up and you waited like an hour. Oh, I mean, it's got to be, you know, when I first started, like almost 15 years ago. Yeah. That's yeah. So he's a real comedian. Um, God, I just sounded so old. Yeah. Almost 15 years, 15 years ago. <laughs> I haven't even been masturbating for that long. Really? Yeah. That's, when does one start masturbating? I think I started at. 13, 14? Uh, when I first started masturbating, because I'm sure these people want to know. Uh, I, I, I mean, they I, think I feel I'm like funny, people so, yeah. don't really talk about this a lot, but as a, as a kid, when you first start masturbating, uh, you don't ejaculate at first. Or I didn't ejaculate. Like, I didn't either. Yeah. You just get like a funny little tingling surge up through your head, and then you go, like your dick shooting a bottle rocket. Yeah, no but, you, but nothing comes out. Great times. So I thought that was just the deal. And you could do it a lot. You could do it like five, six, seven times. And I was just like, you just watch. And I'd do the thimble approach. I would do like a little, like uh, squid hands. Dude, me can. too. The squid hand, yeah. <laughs> Feeding the duck. That's what we used to call it. <laughs> the what? Feeding the duck. Feeding the duck. I think we got that from Urban Dictionary. Yeah, so it's like you may, like a squid. Now, look, I'm fucking 12 or whatever. It's, it's too big for that now, lady. But, um... <laughs> But at the time, that was the, that was the move, and nothing would come out. And I remember the first time something actually poured forth, as it were. I I, I literally jumped out of the couch and like ran away. I I don't know what happened. I was like a black guy at a comedy club after hearing a funny joke. I ran, <laughs> I, I ran out of the room. <laughs> the the first time I saw something come out, I was using my dad's back massager. Mm. And uh, I heard the garage door open. And that made you come. Parents are home for work. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm still in my mom's room when she comes up there hiding the shit. And I try to play it off by saying, I was looking for your Vicodin to steal. <laughs> and you're 12? I, I, was, I was 14 at this time. 14 was your first time. Late bloomer. First time with ejaculate coming out. With ejaculate. Ugh, what an awful word. <laughs> with ejaculate. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't cum because there's no sperm in it. It was clear. It was just so, prostate fluid. Let me, speaking of ejaculate, I'm recently single. <laughs> and I had sexual intercourse with a woman. And um, we're in a hotel room. <laughs> Not to brag. La Quinta Inn. But we're in a hotel room on the road. And I, I pull out because I'm a gentleman. And uh, I un unspool upon her belly, and she says, um, 
she says, uh, do you ever, uh, hey, do you have a rag? And I was like, uh, and I just sat there going, what type of guys does she hook up with that her go-to question was, do you have a rag? First of all, who has a rag? Maybe that's why gangsters carry the bandana out the back pocket. Yeah. Like a do, maybe she hooks up with like Crips and Bloods. Yeah. So you want a do, or do you have, where's your do rag to wipe the cum off? <laughs> like a rag, like you could ask for a hand towel, a washcloth, a towel, anything. Do you have a rag? Ugh, are you boning, are you boning like extras on the cast of Les Mis? Like what the fuck, who has a rag? Anyway, they just, that jacked that maybe thing. So back to, back to you talking about me. Yeah, you're the host of the uh, After Laugh with Bill Dawes. I have a podcast called the afterlife. We're actually in the same undisclosed location where I record my podcast. We're um, outside. Which is outside. It's yeah. nice. I, I like doing it outside. I didn't want to do a studio podcast. I, I don't know why. It just felt like... Um, yeah, why be professional? I don't think it's that. I think it's just I feel... Why respect your listeners? I... I don't know what it is. I just, maybe I'm lazy, maybe. But I just feel like every time I go, whenever I do a podcast, okay, we're doing a podcast. It's going to be 1130. You got to park here. Here's your, you walk in. Do you have the head fits? You want some coffee here? And you go in there. And then by the time you're talking, like, I'm removed from my life, man. My life is somehow minutes and miles away from the room I'm in now. So I wanted people to come after the Laugh Factory and just roll over to the yard after a couple, and I'll have booze and weed, and they show up like, hey, man. And the premise was that people would be so um, jazzed or mad or whatever it is from a show, whatever that energy is, and that would translate into the interview. But what I found is that people do a show, they do a set, and from the club to the yard, which is literally like, what, 40 yards maybe, um, that energy has disseminated, dissipated, it's become something else. So I'll watch a set and then they'll come back and go, man, hey man, how'd your set go? It was good. All right, so where you're from, you know, and it just never really, that didn't become the driving force behind do it. So I just found, at that point I was like, all right, fine. People can come from all walks of life. They don't have to be comics. I want to kind of rogue in it a little bit and maybe get some thinkers and, and die people and fighters. I don't know, just try to mix it up, see what happens. Yeah, it's got a, a lot of good reviews, more than mine. Um, you should listen to <laughs> Did it. Do you have any bad reviews? No, I don't. No. Perfect five-star review. Perfect five-star review. I have 29 of them. Let's make it 30, if you're listening. Yeah. Go ahead and... Do you have random people reach out to you and be like, hey, I listened to your podcast, and it's helped me out through something. It's, I've learned Not or I've yet. grown. No? Okay. I've, I've heard, I listen to your podcast, and now I need to go to therapy. And I think you're not. So what happens to your podcast is so bad. I listened to part of it, but. No, I, I'm just kidding. I, I promoted it on Instagram. And uh, I, I really, my dream is to have a, like a small village in Serbia. Uh -huh. Be like a huge fan of Casburgers. Uh -huh. So I promoted it to all these random countries. And then I had some. Wait, how do you Romania, promote to a random country? Uh, through Instagram. And you just, you just target it that way? Yeah. I didn't know you could do that. All right. Yeah, you can. Right. You need to step up your uh, social media marketing game. Oh, I'm not good at any of that shit, man. I just like... Hire someone. You're... Let me continue talking about you. Okay. Uh, you're one of my favorite comedians of all time. I think you're one of the most underrated comedians ever. Um, I found out a bit about you 
when I was uh, 17, 18, I read the book, I Hope They Serve Beer in Hell by Tucker mm -hmm. Max. Mm -hmm. That uh, influenced me, probably mostly for the bad. Of course. And, uh, but I was 18 and I was like, this guy's just an asshole to everyone and he gets laid. That's cool. I want to do that. And uh, I, I, read, I finished the book. I looked at the website and I, I went to YouTube to find more content from him. And uh, you were doing like promo for his, his movie. Yes. And uh -huh. I just thought you were fucking hilarious. Well, let me just say this. Definitely true. <laughs> no, but uh, uh, yeah. So Tucker, yeah, we can, we can go on about. So I met Tucker because I was supposed to, there's a, there's a famous director writer named Balthazar Cormacher who hired me to do rewrite of a script about a comic. And because that was one of my side hustles when I lived in New York. So I went to Barnes and Noble at the time. Remember bookshops? And I was like, I need some inspiration because it's about like a 40-year-old stand-up touring comic. I'm like, there's got to be lots of memoirs and autobiographies from comics that are interesting and edgy and good that I can read to inspire me for this rewrite of this script. And you go to the human section of Barnes and Noble and it's like, why do cats poop like dogs? Dogs pooping on cats. A hundred ways cats paint on dogs. Poopy dogs fart, 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 poopy food. So that was like everything in the humor section. It was all like bubblegum lettering and bright colors and unicorn rainbows. And then there was this one black book with the title, I Hope This Are Beer in Hell. And I was, it just stood out in the humor section. Everything else is all like, why do people fart on trees? So uh, I was like, huh. And I looked at the cover and it was a picture of Tucker uh, with his arm around a woman and the face is cut out. It says, your face here. And he's grabbing her tit. Is he? I yeah. used to, is he? Okay. So, and I just went like, and I remember going, oh, what an asshole. I think I even said out loud, what an asshole. And I turned the book over and said, hi, my name is Tucker Max and I'm an asshole. I'm like, huh, I'm going to buy this book. And I hope they serve beer in hell is a, look, it, it stands the test of time. It is there are moments of sheer brilliance. Tucker is a great, I mean, he wrote Tiffany's memoir, uh, Tiffany Haddish. So I did not know that. You, yeah, you can't, yeah, believe me. You think, his, you think her PR team wants people to know that Mr. White Male Patriarchy wrote her memoir? <laughs> um, so <clears throat> uh, he is a great writer. Um, so when I read this book, and it was shortly after the movie Goodwill Hunting had come out. Well, years actually that had come out. But so in my head, I had this image of Tucker as like Matt Damon Goodwill Hunting, which is, is sort of what my brother was. My brother was full scholarship to Harvard, but threw down, fought, didn't give a shit. He was a delinquent, just fucking badass, but brilliant. So I'm like, oh man. Tucker Max is going to be this guy. He's going to be Matt Damon Goodwill. He's going to be a fighter, a fucker, a blah blah blah, brilliant mind. And uh, so I reached out to him because I was doing a show in New York at the Times Square. Laughed. I said, "Hey man, why don't you come? We'll give you a bottle of service, hang out." He said, "I heard people have been." He goes, "You know, it's funny you reached out because people said I should check out your writing." Because not to brag, Eli, I had the number one blog on MySpace. You didn't even know what MySpace is. You didn't remember what MySpace was. Oh, yeah, right? that's where all the emo girls would have a bunch of asterisks. And but there was a blog thing. They have the, the, the weekly blog, and everyone saw I was number one blog. The funny thing is, is I mock it, but the number one blog, I get like 
20,000 reads a day. It was crazy. So, anyway, you heard about is me. That, we, is that still up? MySpace? My blogs? Your blogs? God damn, no. I don't know. I wish I could find them. I will say this. I think if some of them were up and anything big were to happen to me, I think I would never work again. That makes sense. Some stuff I wrote in the MySpace days when you didn't even... The, the idea of something coming back to haunt you and also you're vying for attention against the likes of that Asian cunt, whatever her name is, all those dumb bitches on MySpace. You're, you're vying for so much attention that the idea that you just want to be as provocative as possible. So I'm sure I dropped the N-bomb and the C-bomb, like the F-bomb. I'm sure I did just everything I could just to get attention. All for the sake of comedy. It wasn't like I was doing a manifesto or a treatise, but I was definitely unfettered. So, um, anyway, I guess he'd read my blogs, he'd heard about my blogs, so I started working for him with Rudius Media, which is his writing consortium, and I wrote on his website as a writer, and I would publish blogs, and Niels Parker uh, was, like, my editor, and we became friends. So, it was like, you know, now, the only thing I would say, when I met Tucker, um, and I got to know Tucker, because I toured with him on this tour where you saw those videos, because they made the movie, I hope they served in hell, which I also helped to write as well. I did like coverage and notes and stuff. And at one point that movie was a good movie. At one point it was actually like a decent movie. It was based on a story called The Austin Road Trip which is where Tucker and his two best friends, they go to a strip club and shenanigans ensue. The nerd guy hooks up with hot stripper. Tucker shits his pants in an elevator and then the other friend gets arrested and thrown in jail before his marriage, and they make up, they go back, they have, it, was, it was a lark, it was an 80 page lark. Um, and I helped it, I was glad, and then they went to some other people, I think they went to some guy at the, who worked, wrote for Family Guy, Zuckerberg or something like that. He said, it needs to have heart, it needs to have more of a story, So they changed it to this, this movie that just didn't work. I mean, it just didn't fucking work. And Tucker thought it was so funny that he fucked a midget in real life, so he put this story about him fucking a midget in the, in the movie. And, uh, and then the movie came out what it was. Now, I remember the first time I saw the movie, I saw it in L.A. And if you ever go to see screening in L.A., where are your listeners from? I guess they're in this town in Croatia. But if people are in L.A., I always say that L.A. is, is one of the... Depends how loaded the audience is. It's one of the best litmuses for like how something's actually going to be received in the world, because we're a bunch of snobby, snarky, arrogant motherfuckers. So if a sh if a movie premieres in L.A. and people like a movie that people don't know about or don't want to like, and it kills, yo, that movie's a hit. So we saw it at the Wiltern Theater or something in L.A. with my agent, my girlfriend at the time, and it was a Led Zeppelin man. Like nobody fucking laughed. It was just wasn't the shit scene was funny, but. And I remember going like, oh man, this movie isn't very good. And then I remember talking to Niels, going like, Niels, the movie's like, he's like, oh, that's just the LA crowds, you know, people, it's gonna be a huge hit. And I was like, Tucker, is screen lock? Are we, are, is a picture lock? Are you guys gonna do? He's like, no man, this movie's great, it's gonna work, don't worry. I was like, I don't know, man. So then we're, we're gonna go on a tour bus, they got Usher's old tour bus. And they're like, can you go and MC the events and introduce the thing and blah, 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 and we'll pay you. And I was basically like, I don't want to do it. Because it's, I was, so I look, I, and they're like, how much? Like, we'll give you $10,000. And I was like, I'll do it for 20. 
because they didn't want to go. Somehow they got $20,000 and they brought me along. And I got to say, it was, one of, it was one of the best like couple months of my life. It was so much fun. It had nothing to do with Tucker Max though, what was fun about it. Tucker, unfortunately, uh, and I, had, I would say this to his face, I don't give a shit. Uh, unfortunately, he's just not, I mean, maybe therapy has helped and he's on proper meds or whatever it is, but he's one of the most deluded. Like, I wanted him to be Will Hunting. I wanted him to be able to outfight me. I wanted him to have a bigger dick than me. I wanted him to be smarter than me. I wanted, all, I wanted him to be funnier than me. I just wanted him to be the guy in the book. And then you meet him, you hang out, and he has this kind of like lisp and stuff. And he has this voice that's not very like. His voice threw me off when his I heard voice it. His voice is like, hey guys, I'm Tucker Max, I'm about us. He sounds like fucking uh, Beavis. And his, he's got like wide his He's got like little baby carny hands. And I'm going like, okay. Like, but you know, I'm like, he's still smart. He's still a great writer. And then he started treating everyone who worked on the bus. And I was like royalty there because I was like the entertainment. And I was getting paid so much. But these guys were on the bus, on the tour bus, for free. They were interns. They were like hawking shirts and just lugging equipment and shit. And he was treating them like fucking garbage. Just insulting them and like, we're, dude, I'm in my 30s, bro. We're grown ass men. What the fuck are you doing, dude? Was he like trying to be funny? And he's just trying to be like, like you know how people are, there was a certain guy that in high school existed and I guess in college existed, particularly high school that was just like, he wanted to haze the freshmen and be shitty to the underclass, but I understand that's a tradition that exists. I was never a part of that. When I was in high school, I was like captain of the soccer team. I wasn't like, let me, let's, hey, let's shit on Timmy for trying to join the team. It just was never interesting to me. So, but he just was always hazing people, and it was sometimes funny, but mostly just kind of like pointless and mean, and also like, dude, you're, you're 30? Like, what do you, what, what is, what's happening here? Why are we treating a 26-year-old man like he's a piece of shit? Like, it really bugged me, and um, and the second thing, and then then you realize, like, then you're out with Tucker, you're like, oh, he actually has no game either. I'm like, well, what the fuck is this about? What, what, like, I, I've been fed a, a bunch of bullshit, and then um, and then you know you talk uh, you talk to girls, you know. I mean, I'm not proud of it, but we're we're uh, Eskimo brothers, you know, me and Tucker, you know, and he's a fucking baby dick too. Of course he is. Of course he's baby dick, you know. So you're like, ah, he's got carny hands, baby dick. He's like, my dick is average, man. My dick is average. I'm like, my dick is average. So, and also, you know, he got me into, essentially, because, because uh, you know, me and Eli, we couldn't know, we see each other a little at 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu. The first time I ever did Jiu-Jitsu was with Tucker Max at 10th Planet when it was back in La Brea. And the teacher was a guy named Carl Parisian who used to fight for the UFC. And Carl was like Armenian and out of his fucking mind and just like, all right, guys, go. You know, like, I don't know why I made a Mexican. All right, guys, go. But, like, there was no rules. We'd start standing up with no judo background, fake punches onto the ground. And, like, my fingers are getting broken. My knee, and I just started. I'm in my, like, late 20s or whatever. And then and Tucker, like, um, would, like, he'd been doing it for a couple of years. And he would, like, kind of beat me up and kind of hurt me a little bit and just be like, hey, man, you know, if you keep working, you know, and I remember when that happened, I was like, I don't like this. So I went back to New York. And I trained in Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, Henzo Gracie. Shout out to Henzo Gracie Academy. Um, I got my blue belt. And I rolled with Tucker again. And it was literally like rolling with a five-year-old baby. 
I mean, he would, he, he, I, I, busted, I tapped him at will, and every time I tapped, he just, he'd hit the ground, fuck, man, you know? And I was like, oh, you're a bully, dude. You're just a bully. And, 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 and the more I got to know him, the more I just stopped liking the guy, um, which I think is the story of his life. But anyway, so let, let's talk more shit about Tucker. So um, the movie comes out. Now, did you see the movie? Yeah, I did not like it. It, 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 it didn't fulfill the promise of the premise. It, was, it, it could have been good. I think you could see how in there somewhere there's a good movie. But you also had a cameo in there where you <laughs> cameo, said, yeah. tell your fucking friend I know jujitsu. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. Uh, oh, that's another funny Already story. fingered her. So they, uh, yeah, so they out It's a funny little scene. And the guy, look, Jesse Bradford is great. Matt Zucri is fucking awesome. Now he's on The Resident. He's a big star now. And uh, Jeff Stoltz, they're all just, they're, the th those three guys were great, great dudes. When I arrived on the set in Baton Rouge to do my like day or whatever. Is that they, where it's filmed? Yeah. They hated me. They were giving me shade and giving shit to me and I was trying to improv. They were like fucking, I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And afterwards, Jeff Stoltz was like, we heard you were friends of Tucker, so we hated you. Jeff Stoltz like, every day, I have to do everything in my power not to punch him in the fucking face. So, this is not a referendum on whether or not Tucker is a bad, like, I, I think, I, this is what I personally believe. I think that he is a smart guy. He's got a lot, you know, he's obviously doing really well. He's still doing well. He still has a business. Uh, he still has a lot of people, same people working for him. Um, but uh, he, I think there was a time where he was doing so much Adderall. Um, I don't know if you know a lot of people who do a lot of Adderall, but people who are, I'm talking about like on a two, two, three Adderall a, a pill a day addiction. Um, I used to do a lot of Adderall from age six to 12. Oh, really? I think when you do it as an adult, I think it can make you, just the best word, diluted. Yeah, I mean, you've seen meth heads. Yeah, I think he's just, I think he became incredibly diluted about his intelligence, about everything about him, his, his charm, his capability. So I'm on a bus with these guys, who's, everyone's like, we're here for you, Tucker. You've created an interesting brand. And the movie is, and meanwhile, Tucker, he'd do like a big Vince Lombardi speech. And the, okay, guys, he goes, one day you're going to look back and tell your grandchildren about the time you, we're going to change Hollywood. We're going to reinvent the studio system. And, things, and I'm, li I'm sitting there going like, I'm the only one in this, in this fucking bus who's even a part of Hollywood, even as tangentially as it is. I'm still a part of it. I have agents. I've been in shows and movies. So I'm going like, <sighs> What is he, like, these people are buying it? He goes, he goes this movie is going to make $100 million, at least at the box office. It's going to be the, one of the biggest art films of our time. And it's going to, like, you know, we're going to, like, really shake the system and stuff. And then we left from Atlanta onto Chattanooga, wherever the fuck it was. And I went back to the little editing bay with the, with the unpaid interns, these four or five guys. And I said, hey, guys. I go, you guys aren't giving up your jobs, leaving your girlfriends and leaving home for this, are you? And they pretty much, on some level, they all were <laughs> one of those things. And I said, just so you know, this movie is not going to do well. I go, it's not going to do well. And I'm not being an asshole. I'm just saying, you be prepared for this movie to like, like maybe make five million. And I said, um, it's not going to change the system. I said, when this will be over soon. And don't give it all up for this because I'm telling you the, f the fact of it. 
Oh, no, man, don't be negative. I'm not, dude, I'm not being negative. I'm saying you're leaving your girlfriend in Canton, Ohio to move to Hollywood to make it big as a part of the Rudius Media Studio, which is being bandied about. I said, don't do it, man. It's not gonna, it's not gonna. And then you go to these colleges and everyone's drunk. They do these screenings and after 20 of these, you kind of go, well, maybe it'll be okay. Maybe it'll do better. But you know, after the, after the shows and the videos, I would interview people and people go like, Oh man, that movie was the best. Oh man, so much fun. You guys see the movie. But one out of four, how was it? Dude, what the fuck was that? It was terrible. Okay, we're not going to use that. You want to say something else? Oh, yeah, man, that movie was great. So, um, so I'm having like a weird, weird thing where I'm going like, I know the movie's going to bomb. I know things are going to go, and, and when it bombs, it's not going to be ugly. I'm going to be there for it. So we premiered in Chicago opening weekend, and we're out in the truck for the first theater so I was like, is the platform released? Did we make this money? I'm like, dude, platform releases, everyone knows who knows anything about movies. Unless you're the what Blair. Platform release is basically like, you, you get like a really shitty deal where like, look, we're going to release you in four theaters. And if you make a 15,000 per, per theater average, then we're going to bump you up to 1,000 theaters. You know, or some ridiculous average number that's never going to happen for an indie film that isn't like... You know, the only, the only time that really happens, like limited release in four theaters, is a movie that already has millions and millions and millions of dollars behind it, and they know it's already going to be an Oscar contender. So they did a platform release, and um, in Chicago, I don't know, maybe there's a few other cities, and it made, and Tucker, meanwhile, he said it was going to make over 100 million, right? And his, he says, go make over 100 million easily, and the dream is 200 million. At that time, no R-rated comedy had made 200 million, and then The Hangover beat it. So um, he goes, so the first weekend when it was over, and I'm still there with the guys, it made, I think, $750,000, right? Which, <coughs> in fairness to Tucker, isn't terrible for a little, a, little, a little shitty independent film that went out there in the world, you know? With it, it's not the worst thing in the world. Um, and they were just like, well, it's just word of mouth has to spread. Word of mouth has to spread. Again, I'm the only one who's been involved in the entertainment industry with these fuck tards. And I'm going, that's not how word of mouth, word of mouth is fucking instant. Word of mouth in this fucking industry, it's instant. The minute there's a thing or a product or a person out there who's, who's doing something, people are like, what? It, 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 like the like, Dave Chappelle special. Exactly. How long was that? A week? Word of, mouth, word of mouth is like a week, yeah. Yeah. On when Hamilton was off Broadway, it was like a week. And then you knew it was going to be a thing. So, yeah, I could, and meanwhile, we've been, we've been touring for months. So I'm like, okay, the word of mouth is fucking garbage if this is open a weekend. And they're like, no, no, Bill, you don't understand how it works, the analytics. It takes, it takes two weeks. And so then next week, of course, it was like $400,000. It was like a 50% drop. And I'm going, guys, let's wrap it up. And they're like, no, 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 it takes three weeks. That's how word of mouth works. Of course not, you know. So the movie bombed terribly, and Tucker had egg on his face. And what did he do? He blamed the 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 promotion of it. He blamed the company, and then he kind of went into hiding and went to Austin. And I think that's where he lives now. So anyway, um, better role models. I think is the moral of that story for you, Eli. <laughs> yeah, not not eighteen anymore. But oh, do you, wait, do you know anything about how he started a troll campaign against himself? What do you mean? He, he, uh, he had billboards vandalized around New York City. 
and maybe oh, some other places to say like on his on the I hope they serve beer in hell. Movie Are you sure? Posters. It's I hope they serve for the movie posters. Yeah, to say like this guy's a piece of shit and had like fake blog articles written calling him I mean, a misogynist. I do know, and stuff. I do know that Mark. Ebner, who was a friend of his, or somewhat like a lot of people talk about, like a semi-friend, would uh, would wear like a sandwich board and protest the premiere in Hollywood. Say Tucker Max is a death of art, just to get like so people go like, oh, look at this guy protesting Tucker Max, but like he's a friend. So yeah, in, that kind of stuff. In terms of that troll campaign, I don't know about that. I don't know how much of that is true. I don't know how effective. Either way, it wasn't effective. But I mean, I guess I could see him thinking that. I don't really buy it. I do know that the next book that came out, Assholes Finished First, um, and again, like I, I feel like Tucker's like a lot of people who get like famous and get surrounded by sick events. Like, I know it's about maybe Dan Cook. I don't know Dan Cook that well, but um, I feel like at, he needed he needed people really when Dan got really really famous. He needed people really close to him to be like, dude, give me a hug, give me a hug, and. <laughs> Um, you, you got you to be aware of certain things. You got to be aware of, of what's happening right now. And I think that Tucker had so many sycophants around him that nobody stopped him and said, like re who he respected and stopped him and said, man, like you're really going to, you're burning. First of all, you're, you're blackballing yourself in, in Hollywood by the way you're acting. And two, you're losing your friends, you're losing your connections, and you're actually diminishing any interest in your brand. Um, but people just let him be unfettered ego and he just kind of like ran wild and, and just picked fights with everyone. It was, it was really kind of wild to watch. So when Assholes Finished First came out, and the idea with Assholes Finished First was, I hope they served Beer in Hell was a bestseller for so long that, um, and eventually hit number one. But I mean, it was crazy. It took like seven years to hit number one New York Times bestseller. It was on there for an almost unprecedented amount of weeks. So number two, highly anticipated book, it was gonna be number one, that it had to be. That was, that was the trajectory, he got the best publicist in town. And I read the book and that was the first time I was like, man, this is the fucking, this is, this is Adderall Tucker, man. Because when he wrote I Hope They Serve in Bear and Hell, he was like a, a law student and smart and, and had a little bit of self-deprecating and then all of a sudden he's referring to himself in the third person for 200 pages, and not to mention the fact that I'm in the book, and I'm like, yeah, this didn't happen. It's weird to be in someone's memoir. Which where part? They're just things, I'm in a couple stories, but they're just things where I'm like, this never happened. It didn't go down like this, it's not what was said, this wasn't what happened, like, and it made me sad, because it made me go like, oh, is he lying about it? I hope they serve beer in hell too, because, I mean, there's just so much stuff about that, it was like, about the Duke thing, and people getting tasered, it's like, my brother was at Duke then. They didn't have tasers then. My brother works for tasers. I mean, just so many things that like, weren't even true. They're all doing Gollum references. Like, how oh, stupid Hobbits is and, like the movie hadn't come out yet. People weren't doing Gollum impersonations before the movie came out. It's just like all this stuff where I'm like, you're just, you're just trying to, you know, expand the cult of Tucker Max and what a crazy badass is as opposed to back to the vulnerability of I think what's best about I Hope There's Sir Baron Hell is, is the weird vulnerability that comes out in certain moments where he's drunk and looking in the mirror and seeing what an asshole he is. Um, yeah, I think that kind of ties into uh, moving forward. When I, uh, when I started doing stand-up, I ended up finding you on Facebook after I'd been a fan of your comedy just on YouTube for a while. Yeah. 
and uh, we talked a little bit back and forth, and then I sent you a tape, and I wanted your opinion on stuff. Yeah. And uh, you pretty much told me you you look like that, and you're too much of an asshole. You got to be more vulnerable. And uh, I think the last advice you gave me is you got to make yourself look like a faggot. It's so funny how how many times I've told people that. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I've I've uh, I, I, I've done I do acting audition coaching too sometimes and and I'll, and I'll coach people who are really like Leo Dottavi I don't know if you know he, he was in Bachelor he's like a big like he looks like fucking you know Jason Momoa oh I think he was actually at uh, one of your shows at Laugh Factory yeah yeah he's always just in the front row he's got the long hair yeah so and I had to you know help him with his audition and it was, a, it was a moment about like him missing this girl and how he thinks about her hair and the shower and the softness of her skin. And, and, and he's like a fucking dude, just armor and fucking, ah, and just and he's talking about it. And I could tell him like, I'm not saying he, I want him to cry, obviously, but I'm like, dude, acting is gay. <laughs> it's fucking gay, dude. It's gay in the sense that like, it is, you are making yourself vulnerable if you're not, I mean, if you look, if you're an action star, you can get away with it, but even then, the action stars that people really like are people who are still have moments of real vulnerability. So I think as a comic, um, it, it, yeah, you look like you look, and you, you have your background, and you're white male, and blah, 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 blah. Whatever it is, though, even if you didn't, uh, expressing your vulnerability becomes one of the most important, if not the most important thing to do. I mean, Dave Chappelle's special, Six and Stones, as much as like, fuck you, motherfuckers, is also like, it's, a, it's pretty vulnerable. Because he stays in the, I mean, sometimes he, he, he hides for it, but he, he stays in the pocket and he's like, I don't come out because of you people. Like, this is why I don't do that many specials. He's, he's expressing his fear about, he goes, I hope I'll be okay. I mean, those are the moments where you kind of go, you just need certain moments where you get access to someone and then you go, oh, I mean, Jackie Fabulous on America's Got Talent or whatever. She was doing the, like, I'm a big black girl with my body, but, you know, all that shit. And then she goes, yeah, you know, you know, my face is okay. And you could tell everyone in the f watching that just went, like, leaned in, like, no, you're pretty. Like, it's okay. Like, but just that weird moment of vulnerability, now she's, like, going to win it. So, so back to you, I think it's one of those things, like, it's really easy. Look, if you want to be like Anthony Jeselnik, and we, hey, what a great career that guy's had. But like, and write jokes and be a good-looking guy who writes jokes and just make sure they're really good jokes. Luckily, he's a really good joke writer. Luckily, Tosh is a really his, good joke his writer. His last special, I predicted like 40% of his punchlines. Yeah, I, I, I think that... That was disappointing. I, I think that one-liners like that, I mean, I, I can't get through that. I can't. I mean, first of all, he's wearing that leather jacket. I'm like... You've never worn that leather jacket before until the special. Not that you have to go in your pajamas, and, but like, I could almost see You're him. In, I could see him like, okay, what, what jacket am I wearing? Here we go. Here I am. That's not you. That's yeah, no, not there's, there's you. There's no authenticity to his. So, um, it's, not, it's not about him. And like, you know, Dave Chappelle in his ranch in Ohio wears that weird jumpsuit. <laughs> you know what I mean? When he's feeding his, of his pigs. and half baked. Um, so I guess I just feel like the vulnerable, and, and, and Anthony Jeselnik is li like you, he looks like a, a, 
a male model and he's kind of like he's good so if you want to write if you can really really bear down and write great great jokes but I think the better path and the more rewarding path is to be because first of all if Anthony Jeselik to, to talk the way he does and be that arrogant and have dated AD, Amy Schumer like ugh, come on <laughs> like you can't be both like but you could be like a nice vulnerable guy and date Amy Schumer you know, you can date Amy Schumer and be like, I'm a guy and I love people and this is my girlfriend. But you can be like, I'm the most arrogant and then date Amy Schumer. It's just like, no. There's something <laughs> not... I mean, there are rumors... Yeah, an act. There are rumors about what that's about. But anyway, I don't want to talk about that. Um, so, <coughs> so for someone like you, I think you just got to be like... Um, I think being vulnerable as possible in the middle of those jokes... And, and, and vulnerable also just means having fun. When you're, when you're having fun, one of the reasons I think Chris D'Elia, when he's at his best, is he's on stage and he's having a lot of fun. He's laughing at all jokes. Like, that's, a, that's vulnerable. I mean, if you, if you package it and you're like, here's a moment where I laugh at my own joke, that can be really tired and corny. But if you are authentically being silly and making yourself laugh, I mean, I was there the night that one of his viral Laugh Factor videos, he's gone on stage and he was talking about that song, I started from the bottom now I hear that Drape song. And he was like, he goes, that's so weird. He goes, I started from the bottom. He goes, we can't see you. So we're like, what do you do? I started from the bottom now I'm here. I, you don't see me, but it's here. I could be there, but not now. And it's just, I'm looking at like a 12-year-old kid dancing in his living room with his friends, making them laugh. And I'm like, it's great, man. It's great. I go, that's, vul that's what I mean by vulnerable. It's like you're, you're kind of, you're sharing your joy with what you're doing. Not like you have to be physical and you have to dance and shit, but. Even if a joke, if a joke doesn't make you laugh or give you joy saying it, other than the effect you're making other people experience from it, then maybe you gotta re-examine the joke, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's a, a lot of the stuff with like my, my humor that a lot of people would call edgy, that uh, it's not that I'm trying to be edgy, it's just that's what I think is funny. Like I was at yeah. open mic the other night and this girl was not even through her, she didn't even get to the punchline let didn't even get to the punchline yet, and uh, she said something about, I saw a goat the other day, and I didn't know whether to fuck it, or, and then I just started laughing. The thought of fucking a goat is funny to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, I, that was, now I'm like, what's the punchline? What is the punchline? <laughs> uh, it, was, I I, it was something about how her mom's from here and her dad's from here, so when she sees a goat, she doesn't know whether to fuck it or to eat it make or... a coat out of it. I don't remember where they were from. That could be a solid joke right there. Um, <coughs> So I feel, I feel like the old guy with tuberculosis is like, here's my last dying words to give you, Eli. <coughs> uh, so yeah, man, I mean, I think you are in a unique position right now as a comic and not in a bad one. I definitely don't think it's time for white men to play the victim. <laughs> oh, it's so hard to be a white male comic these days. No, it's not. It's fine. You just, it just, you have to... Um, Trojan horse your point of view a little bit better if it's offensive you have to be you have to write you have to be more clever you know you have to make sure that the stuff that you're saying you know if you like I've, I said this a, a joke that, about rape a joke that involves the n-word you can write a joke about anything you want pedophilia it just has to be good enough that the majority of any crowd hearing it is going to be is going to get it I mean my one of the only Instagram videos on Laugh Factory that got like viral, I think got like maybe four million views, was my bit about Caitlyn Jenner. 
Um, and it was almost unwittingly because the bit is basically I make a Caitlyn Jenner joke, and people go, oh, 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 and I say, you know, look, I should say what I should tell you what Caitlyn Jenner is doing because people want to be dismissive of her. This is what you don't hear about in the news. And I take out a piece of paper and I read these four facts that Caitlyn Jenner has done. She donated $100,000 to a safe house. She's going to speak at the UN. She's helping draft a bill for equal rights for transgender people. And she visited a victim of a hate crime in the hospital last week. And I go, did you guys know about any of this? And they're like, no. And I'm like, yeah, because it didn't fucking happen. She's a fucking Kardashian. Fuck Caitlyn Jenner. She's a dumb cunt. All she did was become a woman and start running people over their SUV. So um, I was like, she's a Kardashian. Anyway. <clears throat> When that got released on Instagram, I was like, I'm going to get destroyed. I didn't because the trans community loved it. Because the trans community, by the way, to this day, you know how many trans T-girls try to fuck me? I think because of this bit. They're cool with me. They follow me on Instagram. Because, um, first of all, they don't like Caitlyn Jenner. Caitlyn Jenner was foisted upon them by a white male dominated media that ascribed Caitlyn Jenner as a representative, not only of the trans community, but of like feminism. She won woman of the year. And everyone's giving Brett Favre for doing that like weird like two clap, like hand rub when she won her award. But like, she should not have won woman of the year. Sorry. And I don't think a trans, I don't think any people in the trans community found that as a step forward because she's never represented the trans community. I don't think women found that as, as a step forward. I just heard a lot of men say, well, that just proves men are better at everything. <laughs> that's pretty funny. Um, so, God, that's awful. So, um, but it's great. But that's a perfect example of a joke that's awful and great. So she, um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was just stupid. It was like a bunch of white men. Hey, we can, we, we'll, make, we'll make our wives happy. We'll make the tra these weird trans people happy. And then they went, blah, blah, and it was bullshit. So, and then also I referred to her by her proper pronoun. I referred to her as a she. So the trans community was like, A, fuck her, and B, she's a her. He used the proper pronoun. He, he didn't say Bruce, he said he, she. Uh, so he's not engaging in hate speech, is he addressing the fact that she's a shallow Kardashian who really isn't a champion of the trans community. And it got like four million views and a lot of, and a lot of love, weirdly enough, and then I do an Instagram video where I talk about how like guys are, guys are so stupid the way I talk, about black dude's like, yo man, I was blowing her back out. And white dudes are like, yo, man, let's fucking the shit out of her. I was like, why do you want to fuck the shit out of a girl? I wouldn't want to fuck the fart out of a girl. <laughs> and I, sexist, piece of shit, misogynist. I'm like, I got, they almost removed it from the fucking Laugh Factory Instagram. So, anyway, th that's, that's the world. The world is, as you, you know, you, 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 you keep authentic, but if, if you're vulnerable, what you're feeling, I mean, look, you, you are a, what are you, 6'2, 6'3? 6'3. 6'3 well-to-do, come from, you know, a, a well-off family, uh, white dude from the OC, you, you represent, you, if you wanted to, you could live an unexamined douchebag life. You could live a life where you never have to look at your shit, where you never have to dip deep, you never have to make yourself vulnerable, you never have to get on stage in an open mic and get mocked by a bunch of cunts from Silver Lake who, who hate you. But you do, dude. And that means something. And... As long as you keep doing that, and as long as that means something to you, and you're able to make, because just you getting on stage, you're making yourself vulnerable. Now look, I've been, people have told me in my life, oh, you're too good looking to be a comic, and I'm not even good looking. So, 
or like fit or like I'm okay, but so that's something you're going to hear. It's a bullshit comment. It doesn't mean anything, but it does mean for you, you have a slightly more of an onus. You just have to be better. You have to be like they say, like women, like, well, you have to like do the same thing, but backward and high heels. You just have to be a little bit better in your writing. Uh, you have to let yourself be vulnerable and have fun. Um, because if you go up there and you just go, I want to like offend people for the reaction, unless, you're, unless you have a very particular idea of what you want from that, like what you're going to get from that, like the reaction is then going to send you into this space or whatever it is. I mean, I did a show at the Laugh Factory the other day talking about the Egypt thing, if you want to talk about that. Because they were like, oh, you lied about what happened to Egypt. This guy, Tehran, was like, you lied. I was like, no, I didn't, motherfucker. I was so pissed off about it. And I go on stage, and there are all these gay couples in the front row, and da da da. I'm looking at them in West Hollywood, man. And I go, and somebody introduced me and goes, hey, uh, this guy got arrested in Egypt. And I go, yeah, you know, I don't really have a bit about it yet, but yeah, I got arrested in Egypt. I got arrested and detained on suspicion of homosexuality. I think there are articles about it. I don't know what to say about that other than fuck Islam. And people, oh, I go, oh, really? Oh, oh, yeah, fuck Islam. Islam is a bullshit, backward, stone age religion. Fuck it. it should... Islam or homosexuality, pick one. One's a choice. Exactly. One's not. Well, that's why I say, I go, look at these gay couples everywhere. We're, we're in West Hollywood. This is where, we, where gays are made. And you're going to get mad at me? Do you realize like any is true Islamic person here, a tr I don't mean a fundamentalist Muslim. I mean like anyone who follows Islam, even, even like a little bit, is going to think, the, in six out of the 18 middle you're, you're murdered. You're put to death for being gay. I'm just saying the ones that are put to death. That's a third put them to death. You know, it's illegal, I think, in four out of five. Four out of five dentists, but it's illegal. Homosexual is illegal, and most of them are put, most countries, say she'd be put to death. And we're going to pretend like that's cool because it's just a different belief system. Fuck you. And everyone's going after Christians because of cakes. Four Fuck five you. dentists do not recommend oral from a bee. <laughs> so, so anyway, I, but, but my point of view, look, I had to dig myself out of that hole, needless to say. And do I think fuck Islam? Of course I don't think fuck Islam, but I also think like it's a young religion. And if we're trying to pretend like, like, oh, Hamas and Palestine, they're just chill in Israel, these horrible occupy like get over yourself you fucking pe pe people the the liberal party and the far left is cannibalizing itself at such an alarming rate it's so bizarre and like no like can anyone may hey maybe Ilhan Amar is a fucking cunt maybe Ilhan Amar is a fucking awful piece of shit cunt nobody can say that the facts point to the fact that she's kind of a fucking cunt the shit she did with Israel, the fact that she uh, married her brother to commit fraud to get him into the country, and then is getting the divorce from her husband because she was having an affair with someone else. If this was a Republican who did that, that Republican, I mean, they would be skewered to within an inch of their life. But Ilhan Omar did that. She's a black female Muslim, so, well, she made some mistakes. Now, again, I don't know. Maybe she's a nice lady, but... The evidence to me points that Ilhan Omar is a piece of shit. But do you think I'm going to go around saying that in public? I probably would, actually. Yeah.